Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. It's your host, Mike. It's been a while. It's been a couple weeks, um, but wanted to make sure that I answer a few questions from you guys. Uh, I, I get questions periodically that deal in the realm of mindset, and it might be because of default, um, our Phil Craft Survival podcast, and it's kind of funneled in that way. And you know, no matter what it is, we want to make sure we address it. But when it comes to mindset, I kind of like to isolate specific things that deal in mindset because it's important to narrow down that focus and and talk about uh, better ways and better practices in order to improve your mindset. You know, a lot of people don't look at mindset like a muscle group or um, something that they have to improve or develop. And the reality is you're not just born with mindset. It, it comes from experiences. It comes from uh, practice. It comes from building good habits. And so that's the whole point of this podcast, the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. That's initially what I uh, sought out to do as a mission statement for Modern Mindset 365. And here we are about a year later. So yeah, I'm going to kick off the podcast today and talk about some things that are happening in the world, but also how that relates to mindset and then answer a couple questions that I had from the audience. Um, one, if you're, if you haven't heard the news recently, there was an active shooting in, in Dallas, Texas that took place. Um, it was a 22 year old army veteran. He was in the infantry for a couple years, uh, as a private, uh, he, just looking at it on the surface, more than likely he got kicked out of the military and, he served a couple years, and nobody knows kind of the uh, reason why, um, what his agenda was, what his uh, motivation was. Um, but the reality is he went to go into the federal building. He shot up the courthouse, shot some rounds, and tried to enter the federal uh, building and was shot, subsequently shot and killed by police officers who were defending human life. And how that rate relates, obviously, to mindset is really important in understanding stress and survival and kind of how your brain works under stress. You know, uh, a lot of the things that, uh, well, not a lot of the things, everything that we think and physiologically do uh, after reacting to stress is, is evolved ancestrally and primarily through all these natural environments that we've lived in. And so, you know, this whole fight or flight mechanism, for example, I always talk about in our survival seminars, you know, when you have uh, a fight or flight moment in time because you're reacting to stress, that's not really conducive to fighting in the technological and fine motor skills uh, capable world that we live in today. For example, you know, you know, thousands of years ago when you were confronted with something natural that potentially was going to kill you. You didn't have technical things that you could do potentially that could save your life. I mean, you had gross motor movements, uh, physical movements of more than likely breaking contact off the X and getting away from that danger or fighting for your life with your hands or the tools that were in your hands, but they weren't really technical. Now we have firearms. Now we have uh, different scales of self-defense in order to protect human life and, and even technology, you know. Uh, just simple tasks like dialing 911 becomes more difficult when you're confronted with stress. And that's just a natural process when that cortisol, that adrenaline, all those chemicals dump into your body, um, facilitating your survival. And so when you think about these officers and what they did and, and the training that they had to be able to suppress uh, that natural 
stress, um, that those natural um, chemical processes that were going to counter those fine motor uh, skills, and they had to use their brain. You know, they had to cognitively function and use their brain to make good decisions. That's that's uh, that's something very courageous and something very important for you to understand and how your brain works. Um, not enough is talked about um, in the realm of mindset. Uh, when it comes to processes or ways that people think or see or sense when they're reacting to stress, and especially when they're countering uh, in reacting to uh, bad guys in self-defense. I was very curious to why people in law enforcement didn't confront or ask specific cognitive, psychological, and physiological things that took place to people under stress in shootings, for example. Like, I want to know what you saw. I want to know how you felt. I want to know what your breathing was like. I want to know ways that we can improve that in training to make you more likely to survive. And that's very important to understand. And I just want to say thank you to those officers who put their lives at risk and saved human life in Dallas, Texas. Um, a big shout out to uh, the Dallas uh, federal agencies and local agencies that uh, did everything they could and were successful today. Thank goodness the good guys were successful and the bad guys uh, lost today. Um, so also, I want to answer a question that was asked today recently about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and how people can live with it. And, you know, the lady who asked it, um, asked it in the context of uh, her situation with her husband suffering from post-traumatic stress. And from somebody who's experienced post-traumatic stress in different forms and variations of it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. That's one thing. One thing I want you to understand is uh, the reason I'm so open about my circumstances when it comes to post-traumatic stress is because um, it's different than a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of the victims who have said they suffer from post-traumatic stress, and, and it doesn't uh, have the same characteristics. And so I was always... Uh, inquisitive of how my PTS was different than everybody else's. And so I'm very open and vocal about that because I want people to understand that it's not one situation or one circumstance is going to lead to one one result. And what you what you see is what you get all the way around. It's not like that. You know, I served 20 years in special operations and the infantry and, you know, eight combat rotations. I did uh, seven government uh, contracting rotations to austere environments and have spent the last decade uh, overseas. I mean, half of the last decade I've spent in war zones or overseas. And I expect there's going to be things that I'm going to suffer from in just facing a different reality or a different routine in that life. You know, I always equate my circumstance, and some people don't like this, but I equate it to uh, uh, working dogs, military working dogs. When you take a military working dog that's a companion to a human being that, that essentially is bred to be a pet, and then they're a war machine, they go overseas and they bite bad guys, they search bombs, they get blown up just like human beings. When they come back, to integrate them into a family life and expect them to be household pets is probably not very realistic. And so uh, I want people to understand that uh, in my circumstance, it's different because one, I'm diagnosed with PTS because of TBI. Like my traumatic brain injury is combined with PTS because I don't show the same um, issues as somebody else 
or as other people who suffer from PTSD. For example, I don't have guilt from the things that I've done in war. I understand what war is. I understand how ugly it is. In fact, when I volunteered several times over, you know, volunteered to go in the Army, volunteered to go to airborne school, volunteered to go in special operations, volunteered for combat, uh, et cetera, I had an expectation that it was going to be uh, bad, that I was going to potentially lose my life. And I think as a whole, special forces, specifically in the Army, and I'll speak upon that because that's what I was, doesn't really have a problem with war. Um, more than likely, uh, they they have an expectation and they manage that adequately, uh, but things do happen. You lose friends, you... Um, you get hurt in combat. You see bad things. And so that's understandable, for us at least. Um, but there's other elements, like when you're on reverse cycle for combat rotations. Like I have five trips to Iraq. I think every trip to Iraq, I was on reverse cycle or reverse schedule. So I didn't have a lot of time to acclimate. Um, we just went into night ops, and then I slept during the day. Vitamin D deficient, which I am today. Uh, thanks to uh, BioStation in Florida, which I recommend for anybody who's uh, suffering from issues with sleeping or depression or anxiety to check them out. Uh, the link is available on my personal Instagram in my story highlight, mike.a.glover. Um, but um, you're going to suffer from these things uh, because of the pattern of life that you're living in. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't address them. That doesn't mean you can't communicate about them. Anyways, back to the, the question, which was, how do you deal with somebody who's suffering from post-traumatic stress? One, I know it's difficult. Um, I've been in circumstances where, obviously, I was suffering. I, I was anxious. I had depression. And uh, a lot of this was post-exiting the military, which is in that transitional phase, that transition phase of doing something that you've done your entire life, and then the next day you're not. I mean, I, I would venture to say that any job... Uh, you could work at Home Depot for 20 years, and the next day when you don't have a job and you're not working, that could be depressing. That could send you um, into depression. It could make you anxious. Um, it could make you rediscover yourself, and I think that's part of what I've gone through. One, you have to, uh, you have to be very patient with a person that you're uh, dealing with. Uh, if you're friends, if you're family, if you're spouse, you have to be patient. Uh, if you're not willing to work with that person and be patient, uh, without being demeaning, then hang it up. Then, then just quit. Uh, I always tell people, like, look, if you're not willing to commit and do the hard work that's necessary and required, just walk away. Don't waste the person's time because that person who's suffered from post-traumatic stress, and look, I'm not talking about just the military. You could be a victim of abuse. Um, you, th there's different variations of, of post-traumatic stress. It's not just inclusive to the military. And, and for me, generally, it remains the same on how I, how I would deal with this. Be, be patient and be supportive. I, I've been in relationships where people, uh, the people that were with me at the time um, would be supportive, what they thought were supportive, but they would be condescending or they would be sarcastic or they would be rude. And so when, when you're looking at a, a guy who has a type A personality who has a certain way of thinking, who, do, who belongs to a, a small sliver of the demographic in the military, um, a small tribe, a small community, it, it's, it's not going to benefit that 
situation by being demeaning, even if you have good intentions, um, by being rude or being sarcastic. A lot of the things that people suffer from in post-traumatic stress, they don't realize they're doing it. Uh, what I discovered is through tra- uh, traumatic brain injury of getting blown up and you know tossed around and knocked out, free fall operations, all kinds of stuff, is that a lot of the TBI, which causes CTE, which is traumatic um, brain damage, a lot of the chemical processes become uh, mixed up. And so you have a lack of testosterone and you have estrogen that's imbalanced and you have vitamin deficiencies. Your thyroid's not able to regulate chemicals. And so what you have to understand about your own personality and your own characteristics is whenever you're angry, typically that's a, typically that's a chemical response. And so when you're depressed or when you're anxious, those are all chemical imbalances. And obviously, life, environment, situations can turn or manifest themselves into uh, a worst-off situation, compounding the chemical imbalance. But a lot of that relates to the traumatic brain injury or the post-traumatic stress, not just situational stress. Like a lot of people think post-traumatic stress has to deal with one specific moment in time. Well, in my case, it doesn't. Like I've witnessed a lot of tragic things, but I don't have nightmares about those things. I don't overthink those specific elements, but it's a culmination of a lot of trauma, a lot of damage, a lot of, uh, you know, like I said before, the, this pattern of life. Um, if you're a working dog and you get up every morning and you're used to biting bad guys and then you come home and you're expected to be a house pet, that can be very difficult to do. The second thing I would recommend is that you become part of the support network every step of the way. Meaning, if you're going to a counselor, and let's say you're getting uh, counseled by a psychologist, that you're with that person the entire time, and that you understand the science behind it. Uh, So many people think that they're overreactive or underreactive, and it's all emotion that's controllable. That's a... um, that's a misnomer. That's, that's not true. A lot of the things that happen aren't controllable. A lot of things that, that do happen uh, have science behind it. And so you're quick to blame the person but not understanding the situation. But if you understood the science, you understood the psychology, it could give you a better perspective of uh, how to treat that person and then how to mitigate um, the escalation of them going high and right, them falling off the map, them going into depression, them becoming angry, them becoming confused and not understanding what's happening, them getting a good night's rest. You could start to analyze uh, you know, the proper ways to mitigate that. For example, for me, if I'm not doing exercise, um, for 20 plus years of my life, I have gotten up every morning and done physical training as part of my job on top of that, my actual job was very physically demanding. You know, at 200 plus pounds, I'm like 235, um, who's used to running with kit and guns and going to the range and doing all this stuff and then not do that the next day, that's a, a very tough pill to swallow. But in addition to that, it's very hard for your body to cope with that because your body is used to having outlets for that energy. Um, and when you don't have that, it becomes problematic. Obviously, it becomes problematic. Um, 
The, my last piece of advice on that is you have to develop good patterns and behaviors for that person, meaning exercise, putting away the electronic devices and getting good sleep, having a good social network. And a lot of the times, like me, for example, that when I was going through this, um, I wanted to shut the world off. I didn't like being exposed to the world. I, I liked, one, I have a mentality or a mindset where I don't like being the burden on other people. Like, I, I hate being the burden. I would rather go into a log cabin in the woods, in the mountains, and hide and just be by myself, working on my issues on my own. But what I've realized with experience, with psychologists, um, with talking to other people, is you can't do that. You can't depend on yourself to figure out how to recover from things that, are, that you're going through. You have to do it uh, with a social network, with a support network, and you have to change your behavior. So if, you try, if that person tries to isolate themselves, pull, like physically pull them out of that situation and make them become more social because the more that person can talk and can com- communicate, um, the better off they are in the long haul. And it's a form, just like me, you know, talking about it in the early days of Philcraft, it, it's a form of therapy. It's a form of, um, you know, getting a perspective from other people and then educating others, which obviously empowers um, your, your own psyche and delivering that message. And so that's very important is becoming a, a person who's an advocate for the protocol and then executing that protocol. So many people want to check out and they're not really into um, solving that issue because they don't want to face it. I mean, the first time that I remember the first time talking about post-traumatic stress with other people in my life and that were special operations guys and they're like, ooh, man, that's, that's hard. And then eventually they were like, you know, I'm, I'm actually going through the same experience. But I never wanted to communicate because I, I never thought I would be the person. I will tell you 100%. It doesn't matter what capabilities you have, technical, tactical, psychological, it doesn't matter. If you are exposed to stress, to trauma, to life, it has some second and third order effects in your life that maybe you won't see today, right now, but eventually you will see. And it will be resounding. It will be, it will be profound. And if you don't understand that, that you're not immune because maybe because you're tough, you think you're tough or you think you're resilient, you're not immune. It, it happens to everybody. And again, it doesn't have to be a, woe is me, I'm a victim, I feel bad because I experienced this, this one tragic event. It's just by default of the nature of what you were doing for a living. When, like again, military working dog, when you go around biting people's asses, you are going to have some kind of second and third door effect later in your life, 100% guaranteed. Just, just face that reality. Um, I got a question from uh, somebody on Instagram. It says, what is the best way to process coming back from deployment? Just getting back and it's really rough. Well, that's part of it. The p- one part of it is you understanding that uh, there is a, there is a uh, period of time which it's going to be rough. There's so many people who have a false sense of themselves, right? You wake up every morning and you think you are this person. Right, because you post on Instagram, and you're like, "I'm a tough person. I'm a tough dude." Because you know, I, I go out there and I hashtag like, you know, uh, crush everything. Well, the reality is, you are you are instilling in yourself or reinforcing in yourself 
a false sense of security to make yourself feel better. And maybe that's temporary, maybe that's permanent, but the reality is um, you're not immune to it. You will go through a cyclic process of you know, going down range is, is a good example, but it, it, it adapts or, or correlates to other people's um, lives where if you, ex- if you experience trauma or the routine or a lifestyle and then you aren't in that lifestyle or routine, you miss it. And so you look at your life. I used to come back from deployments and I look at my life and I go, my life is boring. Like this life sucks. Like I, I would so much rather be on a gun truck, you know, on a Mark 19 in the mountains of Afghanistan, eating an MRE, sleeping underneath my truck, than be in this cozy bed um, in this nice house in the country. And, you know, you would think that's, that's uh, psychotic. That's crazy. And to an extent, it is. But that sense of community that you get from warfare, that sense of, uh, of uh, tribe, uh, that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose that you get from warfare, from deployments, it, it, can't, be, it can't be duplicated in civilian life. It's just not, it's not possible. The best way, one, the start point is understanding that what you're going through is normal, that it's, it's a process, that when you come back, you are mourning. It's literally, it's literally a psychological process of mourning. You come back, you're going to go through um, um, this, this state of uh, depression, this state of anxiousness, this state of not, not finding purpose in your daily routine. That's what's going to happen. But it's okay. Um, as long as you understand that there is going to be light or an end state to your recovery. And, it, and that ultimately takes time. The best way to deal with it and manage it on the day-to-day level is building great habits. One of the best habits is getting a good night's sleep. Uh, when you get a good night's sleep, that's going to set you up for success um, because you're, you're going to be psychologically set up in infrastructure um, because you're not tired, not falling off, you're not easily agitated, you're not angry, you're getting good sleep, right? So you're set up from the get-go. Two, exercise. You exercised every single time you were downrange. So you have to continue to implement that routine of exercise. Third, and I talked about this the other day, and I always um, I want to reinforce this, is either communicate to people to get different perspectives, which you're doing now. You're asking the question, or listen to podcast. The reason I say listen to podcast is because when you listen to podcast, you get another person's experiences, and then you could apply that perspective to your own life. And the only other way to get that is by communicating in a group of, uh, of people where they say, hey, you know, I, I had a similar experience, and this is what happened to me. But if you can't get that because your social network isn't uh, built like that, then you could listen to people po- or in podcast. You could hear a TED Talks podcast about somebody in 20 minutes about their profound experience in life and how they overcame fear or anxiety or uh, loss. And then you could take those elements and kind of get this, uh, this perspective on your life that will improve your mindset. And that's very, very important. Uh, a lot of us try to extract from the air what we think is the right habit um, or the right uh, process in order to make ourselves better mentally. But the reality is that's not always the right way to look at things. 
you have to seriously um, assess through other people's actions and behaviors and experiences and then take those bits and pieces that apply to you and then apply it to your own life to give you that perspective, that introspect. It's called introspect. Um, let's see if I got any other questions. Johnny from Courses of Action is on here. <laughs> oh, man. If you guys haven't checked out Courses of Action, again, this is uh, if you guys are just tuning in, this is the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. So not a lot of people tuning in. Um, but Courses of Action, Courses underscore of underscore action. Good friend of mine, uh, Johnny Primo, uh, has a company. He does uh, tactical training and preparedness and he does small unit tactics and a whole bunch of cool stuff. Make sure you go check them out. Coursesofaction.com. Um, how beneficial has CBD been for you and how often do you use it? That's a great question. Um, CBD, the the version of it that doesn't have THC in it, in its various forms, whether that's oil, salva, which is like a topical ointment, um, there's pill forms of it, has very, been very beneficial to me, especially for sleep. You know, CBD um, has been known scientifically. There's a lot, a lot of studies that are coming out almost every day now because uh, more people are, are getting exposed to it. has great benefits for anxiety, for stress, um, even for aches and pains. And so I use it. I use Uncana. Big shout out to Uncana. Uh, Uncana.com. You could check out their CBD line. I use their, their oil. And what I do is I do one droplet, one full dropper, uh, at night before bed, or I'll use the pill form and I'll do one to two pills at night and I just sleep soundly at night. And then when I wake up, I don't feel groggy and there's really no effect on me uh, psychologically. It's There's no uh, uh, psychedelics or, pro- or psychedelic properties in CBD. Um, so yeah, it's worked for me. Great question. Thank you very much. Um, uh, just FaceTime a bro on the ledge uh, off the ledge and hungry. I just made him promise me uh, tomorrow we'll quit tomorrow. Love you, Mike, and this is important. So proud of you. Uh, thanks, brother. That, that means a lot, man. I just got chills. Uh, my buddy Casey on here. Uh, me and Casey served together. Great dude. Uh, we've we've we served together, and we also uh, ran in the same circles in the same uh, type organizations. But but it's a, a a big thing that we always talk about when quitting, right? When we're when we're we used to have this thing in Special Forces Selection where we always would joke. You know, we'd sleep on uh, plywood uh, beds, and we'd always look at each other and like, "Hey, you know, you want to quit tomorrow? Like, let's quit tomorrow." We get all pumped up and give us this like false sense of motivation, like, "Let's quit tomorrow." Like, who's quitting tomorrow? Let's do this. And then we wake up and then we do our thing. And we're like, "Dude, you know what? We forgot to quit this morning. Let's tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning is the day." And obviously, it's reverse psychology. But what's important to understand is uh, when it comes to quitting, there is no way you should ever quit anything in your life unless deliberately you just don't want to do it. I'm not saying don't quit something because um, you don't want to do it anymore. What I'm saying is if you put your mind to something, if you commit your life to something, it's very easy to check out. It's very easy to say, you know what? I've had enough. This is uncomfortable. Right, and and that's typically how we justify quitting. We say, "Hey, you know, it, it doesn't feel right." And then, you know, it could be physical stress where we say, "You know, this is painful." But what it what it starts doing is starts manifesting these thoughts, and then you start second guessing the reason you're there, and then you say to yourself, "Am I good enough?" 
And we're our own worst enemies where we say, you know what? I don't even deserve to be here. And then what you do is you degrade yourself because, you know, we are our own worst enemies. And then by the end of it, you're so beaten down that the only thing you have left is to say you quit. But I will tell you from experience that um, I've seen people around me quit. I've seen, I've had buddies of mine commit suicide. I've had uh, friends of mine who have been on the edge and wanted to quit and wanted to take their lives. I've had guys who went through a tough experience and they quit. I've had buddies who have been in relationships, lifelong relationships, who said, I'm done, I quit. And I will tell you that, one, when you get to the point where you know, your mental health is compromised and you decide that the only thing left is to check out and you've justified those means, the only thing you're doing is destroying the lives around you because so many people care about you, so many people love you, but you don't remember that because you're so wrapped around what you think you've done wrong. Um, and there's no coming back from that. Two, when you quit, you, you could never take that back and you will regret it for the rest of your life. I promise you that. I promise you that if you quit, you will always regret that for the rest of your life because you'll ask yourself, like, why did I quit in that moment? And then you might justify it, right? A lot of people are good at justifying it where they say, you know what? I quit because I, at the, it, the amount of information that I had at the time or what I was going through at the time, I had to quit because that was the best decision for me. Well, go tell yourself whatever you want that makes you happy. You know, that, that gives you that temporary feeling of like, okay, yeah, you know, I quit for a good reason. To me, there is no good reasons to quit. If you've committed your life to something, like, for example, Special Forces, and you go into it, I would have walked on a broken leg. I would have took, if my leg fell off, I would have strung it to, to my thigh and walked and hopped on one leg. Because in my mind, I told myself, you know, you have one opportunity at this. You could quit and then you'll regret it, or you could commit no matter what challenges that you face physically or mentally, and you're going to overcome that, right? And so we are so programmed in life now to be comfortable, which is a, a, a mechanism of freedom where we go into our routines, we go into our lives. Ask yourself today, how much did you experience discomfort? Were you uncomfortable at any point? I, that's why I tell people to take a cold shower in the morning because I want you to wake up to reality and go, you know, feel accomplished by suffering. Because every time you suffer, on the tail end of that, on the, the, the contrast to that suffering is a form of relief, a form of earning it, of, of this feeling and sensation of feeling accomplished. And so we don't feel that anymore. It, like a lot of us feel dead. We walk around like we don't have anything to live for. And the reality is it's because of the way you're living. And so when it comes to quitting, uh, never quit. Never even have that as an option in your head. Like I, we used to say, and I know this is exaggerated, but we used to say, I would rather die than quit. For me, that is the way that I, I choose to live my life now. Yeah, I've made mistakes. Have I quit before in life? Have I made decisions that I regret? Yes, but right now is an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to live my life based on my past. I'm going to live a life based on what I understand right this moment and moving forward. And so you could change your life in one second by making that mind shift, that mind change uh, to be better moving forward. Let's take one more question and then uh, I'll shorten this up. 
what techniques do you use to flush cortisol after high stress incidents? I attended a seminar with Dr. Mitch Davidi, who consulted you, Sock. Great question. That's a good way to end this podcast. What techniques do you use to, to flush cortisol after high stress incidences or incidents? Uh, let me give you let me give you my top three. One, to mitigate stress, and this is a stress question because everybody in some form suffers from low grade stress or high grade stress, and you live in that scale. There's a scale of stress. So if your girlfriend's mad at you, then it's low grade. If you have a guy who pulls a gun on you at the gas station, that's high grade. And how you react to those things from low grade is a very good understanding of how you're going to react in high grade. Because a lot of us want to check out mentally when we're confronted with low-grade stress. The, re- the, the uh, reason that is is because we don't know how to manage it properly, and we don't know how to confront it. Nobody wants to confront stress. It's the 1,000-pound gorilla in the room where nobody wants confrontation. So one, you need to breathe. Breathing is a mainstay and a fundamental in getting through stressful situations. Why? Because when you're confronted with cortisol, when you're confronted with uh, adrenaline, when you're confronted with stress, your body, your, your natural mechanisms uh, are, are primarily engaging you to suppress your breath, to save your organs, to save your pump house, to retain oxygen for, for your life, for the core of your life. It's not advantageous in survival for you to be able to have oxygen for your ears, for your eyes, for your hands. And so auditory exclusion is a great example of that. So chemically, these processes are happening. And if you don't breathe consciously, meaning you're aware that you're breathing, you won't do it naturally. In fact, you will suppress your breath. A good indicator for, the, for me for that in, in the uh, tactical realm is when I put people through stress, stress tests. You know, if I, if I run a person for a couple minutes and they are breathing out of control, more than likely they're suppressing or holding their breath in certain, certain instances. Combat breathing. I just talked to a, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Lou, who's a retired 10th group guy. He's, he, he graduated in the 80s and 90s, retired in the late 90s. He was taught combat breathing in special operations, by Special Operations Command. Combat breathing or breathing period consciously will mitigate your stress. It will lower your heart rate. It will allow you to be in a better state of mind consciously for you to make better decisions. The second thing is positive affirmation. Everybody here who's listening to this, all 40-something of you, um, beats yourself up every single day for no damn good reason, right? You say to yourself, like, I'm too fat. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. Uh, I have acne. I'm ugly. I hate myself. And you constantly scroll on Instagram comparing yourself to the rest of the world that's, that's filtering the crap out of the pictures and who has nothing to do better than work out or live epic lives because you know th- they got the money or whatever it may be. So one, stop comparing yourself to other people. But two, have the, the mechanism in you to positively affirm your identity. This self-esteem orb that lives in your chest, um, your survival can be grossly affected by the disruption of that orb. Let's say you, you tell yourself you're the biggest piece of crap on the planet. And there's people that do that every single day who go, I'm not good enough. I freaking suck. Do you think that's going to benefit you in being resilient and being um, in the right state of mind to survive high-grade or low-grade stress? 
Probably not. I don't think anybody on the cusp of winning the gold said, I suck. I'm probably not going to finish this and land this. Let's see what happens. And then they win gold. That's not how it works out. They typically do that, and then everything falls apart for them. So positively affirm your identity by saying, you are the best. You are good to go. Everything is okay. If you do that, you'll be better off for it, I promise you. The last thing is staying conscious, which means breathing, breathing, breathing. If you breathe, which is number one, by default, you are staying conscious and on the forefront of your mind. When people are confronted with stress, they want to check out, right? They don't want to be on the, on the, uh, the forefront of their mind because they don't want to face reality. But when you do so, you're unconscious. Again, on the high-grade version of that, let's say a dude pulls a gun on you and you panic. You go to your gun and you don't know what to do. You become unconscious. You're in a fight-or-flight mode and you never become conscious, meaning you never become aware and assess the information that's around you using your senses. You never look, you never listen, you never even smell. And then what happens is you don't, you're not really readily available to observe or take in information, so you can't make good decisions based off that. So what happens? You panic, you go into the fetal, you cry, you whimper, you go into shock, whatever it may be. The low-grade version of that is the same thing. When confronted with stress, what do you do? If it's low-grade stress, what do you do? Well, if you check out every single time, what do you think is going to happen long term? What do you think is going to happen? Stress doesn't go away. You don't eat stress and then you crap stress and then it's gone forever. What happens is it accumulates. It stacks. Boom, 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 boom. And then what happens when you accumulate stress? Yeah, you lose everything. You make the worst decision ever. You, you go off uh, the rocker and you do something egregious. You... You yell, you scream, you run away, you freak out, you panic. You, you do all this crazy stuff because you've accumulated all this low-grade stress. Low-grade and high-grade and everything in between matters. And how you do that is by understanding you have to stay conscious. Two ways to stay conscious. One is breathing. The other is communication to yourself. Yes, communication. Uh, a, a real good book I read... Um, uh, talked about being the passive observer and, and mindset and mental health, meaning you're going to have this subconscious voice. It's the same voice that says you're a piece of crap, right? It's the same voice that goes, you're not good enough. Well, by, by uh, lucky for you, you have an observer in that room who's able to witness. It's called the witness that could say, okay, I just called myself a piece of crap. That's interesting. Well, let's just see what else happens. You don't need to confront the subconscious uh, voice. You don't need to go, hey, subconscious voice, don't say that, say this. Don't do that. Just see what happens. And then when you become a passive observer, the, the, the uh, third uh, ear in that room, you go, dude, this is insane. Like I'm listening to this subconscious voice that's controlling me. So now I understand that I, I could witness this. And it sounds crazy, right? But it's really not if you think about it. Like if you have that voice in your head that's saying, you're no good, you're the worst ever. Well, if you consciously can hear that in your, in your own head, then that means you're observing it. And then so the tactic is, now that you understand that, you could communicate to the subconscious voice saying, well, that's not true. Wait, I'm not a piece of crap. Like I'm actually better than that. You know what, Mike, you're better than that. Hey, you are better than that. And then you start to institute a habit, which is, 
every time you start to destroy yourself, destroy that orb of self-esteem, you now have that alternative uh, opinion who's like, no, that's not true. Like, you're freaking out about this situation, and it's not that big of a deal. Like, relax. That's being conscious. That's literally being conscious. Breathe and stay conscious. Breathe, right? Uh, I want you to be... uh, affirmative in and being positive to yourself and your self-esteem. And then I want you to remain conscious. Those are the three best tactics that I can give you. Hey guys, I appreciate you guys tuning in to the Modern Mindset 365. I got friends, I got family, I got everybody on here. Um, there's nothing m- m- more than I like uh, in life than trying to give back based off of my experiences. I, With that being said, I'm not the subject matter expert at everything that I'm Uh, talking about and discussing. That's why I love love having different perspectives and guests on because I love um, assimilating best practices and then disseminating that information to you. It's what I did as a team guy. It's what I did as a team sergeant. It's what I I was responsible for as a sergeant major, and I think that's hugely important. Remember, you can be your own worst enemy. If you take the time to consciously understand what's happening in your life, then you get a different perspective. And the only thing you have to do is look yourself in the mirror and say, dude, everything's going to be okay. There's no reason to freak out, no reason to lose your mind. Take some deep breaths and then and then relax. And then go hit the gym. Then go hit nature. Then go get in your mobility rig. Uh, this Do all these things that you love to do. Everybody in this world, more so than ever, is going through trauma. Every single person in various forms of low grade to high grade, every single person, do not think you're the minority. Understand that you are never alone. Every single person is going through it. And the person who pretends on their IG or the person who pretends on their Facebook that pretends like they aren't suffering like the rest of us, that's the person that you don't need to follow. That's the person that you don't need to listen to. Because the truth is we are all suffering and the more perspective we get, the more the more communi- uh, communicative we get about it, the better off we are. It's when we start suppressing all these things and putting them in little boxes and tucking them away that we start accumulating stress and we lose our shit. We don't need to do that. We're all in this together. It's all it's all one life. We're all on this planet living at the same time. The best we could do is uh, is help each other out. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. Again, uh, if you guys like this podcast, make sure you listen to the Philcraft Survival podcast. I'm looking forward to the Tactical Review podcast we're doing in a couple days. Also doing a podcast with uh, our new instructor, Joel, who's a, a former MARSOC Raider. Also uh, going to be talking with uh, Raul Martinez uh, in that Tactical Review podcast to highlight some of the tactical stuff that we're experiencing. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys. And then, uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you later. Bye, guys.